The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies, rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats podcasting together, mass hysteria. Who are you going to call? The Scream Kings? The Scream King! Oh, what? I'm so shocked that it's taken us this long, Nathaniel. Yeah, this movie <laughs> is just one of the greatest movies. We were talking a little bit before this, and Ghostbusters means so much, I think, to you as it does to me. This is an iconic piece of film. I don't care who you are. I don't, I've never met someone who's been like, ew, Ghostbusters. It just doesn't exist. This movie is perfect. I have, you know, a, a little Slimer right next to me on my desk, which actually you gave me. Um, I am wearing Slimer socks right now. Heck yeah. <laughs> and, twinning. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it, it's it's such a part of my life that, let's see, a few months ago I was at Target and, you know, we were shopping for some kids' clothes for my son and they had a Ghostbusters hoodie, Bankman jumpsuit hoodie. And, uh, of course, we immediately shelled out $30 that we really probably shouldn't have been spending to buy it, because of course we did. Really? I think we need to give a disclaimer that this episode is mostly going to be about two boys fangirling about Ghostbusters the entire time. It's just such a wonderful film, and we have so much to say about it, and... Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Yeah, it's probably going to be a little different than what we usually do. We're not going to pick it apart, I think, as much as we do other movies, just because it's such an iconic piece of film, and it really is just so good. It's so good. It, I, for me, I tweeted about this a few days ago. It's one of the movies that I watch when I need to feel better. Mm. Kind of like comfort food, you know? For me, chili cheese dogs, I don't know. They speak to me. They're comfort food to me. Ghostbusters is one of those movies that I can watch as many times as I want. I never get bored with it, and it just feels good to watch it. And I don't know if that is the nostalgia behind it, growing up watching it as a kid, or how just fun it is. It's just a great comfort movie. They're armed. They're dangerous. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. They're professionals. Oh, I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. Oh! You see it? They're all that stands between you and the end of the world. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Okay. So, other than just repeating that classic Ray Parker Jr. song, what do you love about Ghostbusters? Why does this movie work so well? Kind of the main highlight for me about Ghostbusters is the story in and of itself is just incredibly original. 
I don't think anything before it really came to its its story, and I don't think there's much after it that has really been able to mimic it either. The thing that comes to mind is the Nintendo game Luigi's Mansion, where you're Luigi and you suck up ghosts with a vacuum. But it, it just became such a quintessential ghost movie that I think a lot of directors and a lot of movie producers didn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole because it would be blatant plagiarism. Mm -hmm. the, the story is just so unique. These scientists getting together and hunting the paranormal ghosts with their <laughs> crazy machines and their backpacks and their jumpsuits. And it just works so well. There's nothing cheesy or corny about it, even though it's about these kind of four nerds well, three nerds, essentially, <laughs> um, minus Egon. And this this world, it just it feels so natural. I guess he is a nerd. Egon's a huge nerd. Winston's the one who's not that much. Winston's. Nerd. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm thinking your favorite character. I'm reading down the show notes. I apologize. Like, Winston is more of a, I don't know, just man of action, I think. Agreed. Agreed. But and so I think the premier aspect of the film is it just fits naturally into our world so well. Even though it was filmed in the 80s, it's still a very relevant film. <laughs> There's no real disconnect. It creates this whole new mythos that you want to believe is actually happening. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. I think what really works about it is that blend of a lot of humor and, and kind of the inherently ridiculous elements of it. And the fact that like they don't shy away from that. Like but but it works for the film because, you know, inherently the idea of hunting ghosts for a living is ridiculous. And and the idea is kind of inherent in a lot of like mythology and all that that it kind of plays with is also like when you really spell it out, inherently ridiculous. And so they let it be ridiculous, and then it, it all comes together in this this beautifully just so fun and funny and fresh and like it it it, it all comes together because they let it be silly, but the stakes are still there. Well, and I think what it does as well, Nathaniel, is a lot of movies nowadays, and I think the 80s did a really good job at this, is they created movies not to make money per se. Of course they were designed to make money. That's obvious. But Ghostbusters and Beetlejuice and E.T. and a lot of these classics, you know, my comfort movies, they're just fun. Like, there's not this level of satire or metaphor or anything like that. They're just good quality movies that are having a good time, and it makes you feel that. It, it resonates with people, because sometimes I think we forget that cinema, a big part of it is just recreation. Turn your brain off and enjoy something on on your TV, and I think Ghostbusters does that far better than a lot of other movies. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that, yeah, part of what comes through is that the cast had a blast making this movie. Like, it, this wasn't just some, yeah, serious art project. It, it, was, a, it was a fun project where uh, they all had their own personal stakes in it. You know, we have two of, the act, uh, two of the main actors are the writers of the film, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. And, and then we have, you know, but, but, you know, everyone's having a good time. 
every single scene has at least a few improv lines in it. Like, they're, everyone's given a lot of room to be creative and funny and just have fun with it. And that comes across because, you know, yeah, I think films where the actors are miserable or, you know, it, they're having a, a really hard time, it just doesn't have the same sort of feel to it. You know, take The Shining, for example. The Shining's a very impressive technical feat, but the actors were just treated like garbage by Stanley Kubrick and were forced to do scenes over and over and over again a thousand times. Like, that's not a fun movie, and it doesn't have that energy that, that inherently comes with a movie like Ghostbusters, where everyone, you know, probably left the set every day just laughing and having a good time. It, you can feel that energy from the actors as they, as they're doing their job. It, it's incredibly moving in a way, now that we're talking about it, that movies carry that energy and sometimes you can feel the stress that the actors are under and other times like ghostbusters you are just having a good time with them mm -hmm. so um also the cast is phenomenal the cast is so good sigourney weaver bill murray dan Aykroyd, rick moranis oh there's some of my heroes from my childhood but but yeah, not just them. You know, we also have yeah Harold Ramis, who is perfect as Egon. We have Annie Poots as Janine. She is so funny. She is such an underappreciated character. Uh, Agreed. You know, like Walter Peck is such a good villain character. Like he's just so smug. You want to punch him. Ernie Hudson's so good as Winston, and you know is honestly I think underutilized in the film. But yeah, like everyone, like every person is just so dropped into their roles. Um, and, and, you know, especially, like, I, I love, like, I, I feel like we should definitely highlight Sigourney Weaver and Rick Moranis in, in that they are, you know, characters who, you know, you, you very you get a very strong uh, feel for them at first. You know, Sigourney Weaver's you know, kind of this cool, erudite woman who then, you know, when she's possessed is, like, very animalistic and, the the, the of course, the famous... You know, there is no Dana, only Zool. But, you know, yeah, when she has Zool inside her, it's very different. And and you can see just this big change in the character. And then, yeah, Rick Moranis going from this, like, very dweeby neighbor to this also, like, weirdly animalistic guy. But, like, like you see, like, parts of his personality come through still. But, yeah, just, like, very, like, curious, like, dog character. And it's so fun to see those changes. Well, and I think Rick kind of represents the dog of Zool, and then you have Sigourney, who's more like a wolf. Um, yeah. You know, same canine family, but very different. And both of them do it so well. Sigourney is just a goddess, and Rick Moranis is too pure for this world. I love him. Yeah, can we just take a moment to appreciate how <laughs> amazing Rick Moranis is in every yeah. way? Rick, both if you're ever listening to this episode, we love you. Yeah, because Rick Moranis, not only is he a wonderful actor who uh, is in some of my favorite movies like this and Little Shop of Horrors, he also just is an impressive like figure in terms of like he left acting something he loved when his wife died, and so he could like take care of his kids and yeah, Rick Moranis, you're awesome. Way to go! I would hang out and go to your party in Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't only think 
that the characters are fun. You know, Bill Murray, who's just iconic in this show. Oh, yeah. Dan Aykroyd, who's a beefcake. I <laughs> had sexual stirrings occur as I was rewatching this because he's a good looker. Hasn't aged well. Sorry, Dan. But back in the day, you were, you were a delight. So, so I guess, is he a bigger beefcake in this or in Blues Brothers? I can't comment to that because my soul is torn between two things. <laughs> um, Either way, two amazing movies. Agreed. So you have these iconic main characters, you have an iconic supporting cast, and then the creators also made such a fun and diverse set of ghosts. You have Slimer, and you have Gozen, and the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, like... All and the these... library ghost. and just so fun. It's just so fun that all of these different ghosts have unique personalities and they interact with the world in very different ways. You know, Slimer and all of his garbage. It's just you phenomenal. You me, Ray. Ugh. Yes, please. <laughs> um, Slimer, I, I mean, is my favorite ghost, hands down. I'm curious. Does that come from this movie or does it come from like the cartoons um probably a little bit of both i honestly forgot about the cartoons but now that you've brought that up i'm like having nostalgic flashbacks all of a sudden yeah yeah and so i guess you know we would have grown up with the what the new ghostbusters cartoon which yeah. is like a different like the next generation being trained by egon but slimer is like their pet companion kind of thing I think yeah, he kind of fills a similar role in the older cartoons as well, but I haven't watched those. Yet. <laughs> okay, so we've ranted about the cast, we've ranted about the supporting cast, and rant is not the right word. We've praised. The ghosts are phenomenal. Stay Puff Marshmallow Man is forever changed. I can't eat marshmallows the same way without thinking about Ghostbusters. What else, Nathaniel? I just love the practical effects in the movie. Like, if the ghosts are, you know, obviously a big part of that, but it looks so good. And and even like the um you know, the streams of energy that's coming out of, of their uh proton packs looks so good. Just because it has such like an iconic look. You know, everything has a has a cool like style to it, you know, that that is both like very practical and also just like, you know, very unique. But yeah, like like the technical effects look great. Like, you know, they, they really did a good job of, you know, the puppetry for Slimer and the, you know, the ghosts that, you know, like they did a good job of, of making them seem transparent. Gozer looks really creepy uh, when she's, you know, in her like weird spiky haired woman form. And then, you know, just like everything like looks very good. It, it, it really drops you into the world. And, and I love that, you know, it, that these actors had something tangible to act with. I think I called her Gozen earlier, and I apologize, Gozer, the Gozerian. Please don't hurt me. Um, yeah, we don't need to piss off any more demons, please. And I, I think what happened there is what we talked a little bit about earlier, is that the film felt so effortless in its execution, like you thought that this was real life, and the special effects added to that in such a way that it even enhanced that relatability. You know, the proton pumps weren't packs. these like, packs, excuse me, weren't these crazy, you know, Star Wars lightsaber laser beam things. They looked like 
vacuums and giant like camping backpacks but then at the same time the streams that were shot out were very futuristic but it, it didn't feel disjointed in any way it wasn't it wasn't contrived it was great and then you add a flavor of humor to that and you know don't let your streams intertwine don't let your streams touch <laughs> you know it's just fun agreed and, and i like the also like really had an, an interesting blend of like mythologies that it's pulling from you know we have ancient babylonian or whatever it was for gozer we have you know modern ghosts we have all yeah just such a big variety and, and you mentioned that before but like i like that it, it had a clear idea of like what the threat is and how that threat interacts with this version of new york and also that one of the biggest villains in the film is just you know the epa like they just like want to make sure that everything's okay that the epa <laughs> it just makes me laugh <laughs> well yeah and, and i love that like the guy you know he's such a, like a bureaucratic jerk but he's also like not really wrong like they do have like a nuclear something or other in new york city and like that's not safe <laughs> uh, and so just... you know I just love that the only, like, government organization that came was the EPA. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, it just makes me laugh, and it's that element of humor and the movie not taking itself so serious that really allows it to connect with a wide audience. Mm -hmm. So one thing that, that I'm seeing that you mentioned is just that, like, it's not a scary film, and, and that's definitely true. Like, this is definitely comedy-first, adventure then, you know, far down the line horror. But, you know, but there there were definitely things that definitely spooked me as a kid. And it's fun to see how it, it's, it's, I think, a really good introduction for younger audiences to kind of get used to some of the, the trappings of horror movies in a more safe, controlled environment. I definitely would still consider it a, you know, quote unquote horror movie. Yeah. But I, I, I agree with you. We've talked a lot about on the podcast about gateway horror movies, you know, Conjurings and the Annabelle movies that are very intense and very scary and really kind of a, a stepping point into the darker realm of horror. Ghostbusters, though, is exactly what you said, Nathaniel. It's a, it's a way to kind of help a younger generation kind of desensitize it feels weird to say that um into the horror genre it's a very funny exciting more action adventure movie with these horror themes intertwined with it that can be scary but also are very fun you know you have yeah. a library ghost which scared me as a kid counterposed against slimer and the marshmallow man stay puff marshmallow man and so the dichotomy keeps you entertained. You're scared a little bit, but then there's also these really funny moments. So maybe the scary ghosts aren't really that scary. Yeah. Well, and, and like, I think the library ghost is a perfect example because one, just really great cold open for them for a movie. Oh yeah. Um, you don't know what you're like, getting into when you have the library cold open. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like a whole nother movie at that point. Yeah, but then I love that, like, when they interact with her, what does she do? She turns around and she shushes them. So that's, like, <laughs> fantastic. And then when they don't shut up, she gets super mad and, like, you know, kind of turns into a scary-looking ghost. But then what is their reaction? It isn't 
hey, let's fight this, or even like, you know, kind of a more typical horror movie, just like sitting in terror. They just turn and run, go like, <laughs> like that is such a, a fun way to, to react where it's just like, you know, it's, it's kind of, it feels a little silly, but yeah, like it's not that their entire universe is wrecked. They're actually excited, but a little freaked out. What was the scariest part to you as a kid? Was it the library ghost? I think it was the library ghost and the gatekeeper and the key master, uh, Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver's dog creature. I was very terrified as dogs as a kid. I was outside one day and our neighbors had this big husky and he came over as I was playing outside and like jumped on me and started licking my face. At the time, I thought he was a werewolf and he was eating my face and I was going to die. But, and that kind of imprinted on me. And so as a kid growing up watching these hellhounds with their creepy red eyes and the one in Rick Moranis's bed, that really got to me quite a bit. And that, again, it was a mixture of practical and special effects that worked so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so yeah. the the hellhounds and then definitely the library ghost at the beginning. How about you? For me, it was just a simple little like one second ghost and this probably boils down to the to how i was scarred when i was like eight years old by uh the first resident evil game so like zombies and and things like zombies really got under my skin back back is it the taxi yeah yeah (laughs) so yeah when all the ghosts get unleashed there's one that like flies into a tailpipe and then like you see someone getting into a taxi and then it turns around and it's this like yeah zombie looking dude almost like you know it, it, it has like possessed him or something and just that little teeny moment just gave me nightmares, which is a shame because like I love the movie, but like that part, I, I like whenever I would watch it, I would like have to turn away. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I uh, was uh, I was a sheltered child. Oh, that's okay. So was I. I We've thought... talked about this in the episode. <laughs> we have. So again, this this episode is more just kind of fangirling and praising this movie for all of its incredible accolades um there are a few things that we think may have been a little bit better they're very minor um i know one of yours that you mentioned a little bit earlier was winston talk to us about that i just wish that winston were a bigger character i feel like he's really underutilized in the film um you know he comes in really late in the game he doesn't like I don't know, they just don't really give him enough screen time when he is part of the team. You know, he's just kind of a fourth per, a fourth man for some reason. I don't know, it just felt like it was kind of tacked on. Um, he definitely comes into play a lot more in the in the second film. But it just, yeah, like, I, I feel like he's an interesting character. Uh, you know, like, you get a little bit that he has, like, a military background. Um, and so I just felt like he brings something to the team dynamic that is definitely present in the scenes that he's there, but I just think they could have fleshed it out a little bit more. Like it, it just felt like, and I, I'm sure this wasn't their intention, but it, he almost feels like a token black character and that's not great. And so I think just, yeah, utilizing him more would have made it. So it seemed less that way. For me, towards the middle of the movie, there's a montage about kind of what the Ghostbusters are doing and, and their fame that is increasing that was fun, and I think it really helped the plot and kind of transitioned from Act 1 to Act 2. But I really wanted them to show more moments of them actually encountering the ghosts one-on-one. I feel like 
while the montage was fun, it really took away from them growing together as a team and capturing these ghosts and seeing all the technology. I, I, I wanted a little bit more of that. And as a kid, I think I remembered more. And then watching it again as an adult, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, really? They they have Slimer, they have the library ghost, and they have Gozer, and uh, that's about it. Yeah, that really is. Which is, yeah, again, kind of a shame because, like, Winston comes in, like, middle of the montage. Right. So he's really only present for the last act. And, and yeah, like, it would have been fun to see a little bit more of, like, how swamped they are that they need a fourth guy and then, like, what he's contributing. And, you know, just, just yeah, even, like, I think even just, like, one more scene of, like, hey, here's, like, teaching the new guy how to do the stuff. Yeah, a ghost hunt with Winston, at least. Let's move into Crowns and Screams, because that's all we can say that is bad about the film, and I wouldn't even say bad. <laughs> yeah, just room for a slight amount of improvement. I gave it a nine. A, a nine. I don't know if I've ever given a movie nine other than Hereditary. Uh, we've, we've given a couple, but yeah, I definitely give it a solid nine for Crowns as well. It's a near-perfect movie. Like, part of me just wants to give it a ten, but I part of me knows that it maybe doesn't quite deserve it, but oh, it's it's really freaking close. I love this movie. I will watch this movie forever. Once you give a movie a 10, you can never take it back. That's true. Um, as far as screams go, I gave it a 3, only because those few ghost moments really kind of did creep me out as a kid. As an adult, it's not scary at all. Absolutely not scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a 2 based yeah like like with you just based solely on uh, how it affected me as a kid if you had asked me when i was a child i, I would have given it like a nine just from that one second clip <laughs> i'm gonna just find that make a gif and send it to you over and over and over and over who's your favorite ghostbuster best ghostbuster is clearly egon because egon false, is the inventor makes and sense he's just like I don't know, yeah, I, I, I always loved Egon because he is this, like, big nerd. I mean, like, all they're all nerds in different ways. I liked that he was a very, like, cre like he was inventing stuff. He was a very techy kind of guy. And I also liked, I don't know, I, I was always very entertained by how Janine, like, is always, like, trying to hit on him and stuff. And he is just oblivious. And I actually see quite a bit of you in Egon. I think both of our favorite Ghostbusters actually mimic our personalities very substantially. My favorite's Raymond Stance. One, because Dan Aykroyd is beefcake back in the day. Mm -hmm. But two, I loved how he was kind of the comedic relief of the team. He was very, very nerdy, but also pretty sociable and outgoing and just kind of quirky and, and almost dumb in a sense, but like a fun dumb if that yeah. makes sense um not stupid but just, just kind of like socially oblivious at times yeah and i i see a lot of myself in that i am a nerd i'm quirky i'm sociable but sometimes in conversations i can be a little stupid so yeah. well and, and and also stance is the one who is kind of the expert on these ancient religions and ancient mythologies and that all that stuff. as well. So I think you and I just found who we need to dress up for Comic-Con this fall uh, because we yep. kind of nailed it on the head. If I had to take one of the four Ghostbusters and pick one for you, it would be Egon, 110%. Yeah, I'm definitely not Vankman because he is just this competent 
obnoxious oh. flirt who he's too cool for school is what he is or he thinks he's too <laughs> cool for school and sometimes that works for him my other favorite ghostbuster is rick moranis because as we've said he is the chosen one <laughs> <laughs> the savior to save us all from sin well he is the key master he is all right, let's talk about some spinoffs of the Ghostbuster series. And okay. this is where I'm going to get stoned, so that's fun. But let's let you talk about the second movie that I've actually not seen, sadly. Okay, so you're going to have a couple things spoiled just by my very brief discussion. I'm not going to get too in detail into it. I will say that, yeah, number two just really doesn't hold up nearly to, to the caliber of film that the first one is. The first one is just so good, and the second one just didn't quite live up to that. I can't figure out why it didn't work as well. Like, it's the same writers, it's the same director, same cast. It's just not as strong of a film. It's basically the idea is that they find this big river of ectoplasm, and there's this, like, evil, like, portrait ghost that's uh, trying to steal a baby, and that's all I'm gonna really say. Like, it's, and it's trying to steal, like, Sigourney Weaver's baby. Or, sorry, uh, Dana's baby but yeah like it's just it just isn't as funny it's it I think it's trying harder to be funny but it just didn't quite deliver the same way I don't know the villain just wasn't as interesting or fun because like it's a creepy dude in a portrait who like looks like an angry German man and not you know some giant marshmallow man who's stomping across New York so do you want to talk about why you think that the the reboot isn't as bad as everyone says, even though you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I debated even talking about this on the podcast because this movie is one of nerddom's most hated movies of all time. However, my there are a few Twitter followers that agree with me, so thank you, those who agreed with me. Thank you, like three people who are wrong on the internet. Okay, shush it. Remake came out. It's an all-female cast, which is cool, great. All for that. Um, Kate McKinnon is one of my all-time favorite female actresses. I understand why people hate this movie. I really do. I don't think it deserves the amount of hate that it gets. I think it parallels a lot of what The Last Jedi gets, which I also quite enjoy. Hey, um, don't compare The Last Jedi to <laughs> this hot garbage. I'm not comparing the two. I'm comparing the hate of the fandom. You know, so many people just detest Last Jedi for a lot of silly reasons in my mind. Yep. And and I get those reasons. I understand them. I think they're a little silly. But I, I think that this movie warrants the same reaction from people. And I, I'm not 100% sure why. And you mentioned that a lot of the good parts of this reboot are mimicking what was done in the original, which I agree with 110%. Mm-hmm. I just think i wasn't taking it so seriously the first time i saw it and so i just kind of enjoyed it for what it was it's not the original it's not as rewatchable as the original but i had fun it was harmless i didn't personally feel offended that they made it chris hemsworth is a beefcake in it so i don't know it's not perfect it's not great I understand why people don't like it. Mm-hmm. I just think the hate needs to calm down a little bit. It's a fun, fine movie that is probably going to help a new generation fall in love with Ghostbusters. And if anything, no. people will see this movie and watch the original. And then they'll realize that the original is ten times better. 
You want me to tell you why you're wrong? <laughs> Please do, Nathaniel. I live every day to hear it. So one, of the, or outside of Kate McKinnon, I feel like the cast was not great. I just... Uh, I agree and disagree. I think Kate McKinnon did a really good job, and I think... Kristen uh, Wiig? Yes, I really enjoyed her character as well. Mostly she okay. because she was awkward and uncomfortable, and that's how I live my life. Okay. <laughs> I just feel like, for the most part, the... I don't know, the characters were, like, way more cartoony. Agreed. A hundred percent agreed. Like, our token black character in this reboot was definitely 110% a token black character. And yeah, like, just things like that bothered me, because it's... This was a... It, it felt like it was a bad fan parody of it, where people decided, hey, let's not, like, write characters that actually are, like, three-dimensional... Let's write two-dimensional, ridiculous characters because we think that that's what is funny. And that's not funny to me. That's just bad writing. I, I actually feel like you're wrong about it you know, bringing more people to the series. I feel like it was... I don't know. I just thought it was bad in a way that it probably had some people who checked it out and they're like, oh, Ghostbusters is a stupid thing and then didn't watch the original. I think it, it drove probably more people away than actually gathered in. Just just you know, kind of my, my guess of, of how people are uh, responding to it. And and I, I, I feel like really, yeah, like you said, you know, anything that worked in the movie was just nostalgia. It wasn't that it brought anything new or fresh or interesting to the table. It just brought nods to the original where you're like, oh, yeah, I remember when the first one was really good right then. And that's not the same as you liking this movie. It's a, it, it's just you liking the original and it saying, hey, remember how you liked the original part of this? So, I don't know. It just, to me, it's it doesn't work. And inherently, and, and I, I want to, and I'm going to, to try to explain myself in a way that doesn't make, like, that makes it clear what I'm saying here. I know it's coming. <laughs> inherently, I have a problem with... Uh, an all-female version of a movie. What I'm what I'm saying is not that I have a problem with female actresses, female filmmakers, female cat like 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 female studded casts. My problem is with the idea of taking something and then having to make the girl version. Because to me that that says that to to me that that's pandering and and you know. Taylor, my wife, has brought this up uh, as a point, too, is that she doesn't like this idea because, to her, Ghostbusters is Ghostbusters. And she, as a woman, can appreciate the movie regardless of that. And so making the all-female version basically just as a, like, statement of, like, hey, we can do it with girls, too, says, like, like to her, she says, that's just pandering. Like, she's like, I know that women could do it. They could have played those roles in the first place. It's fine. But we don't need... To make the girl version, you know, and then yell girl power. No, just make good characters, like make a good story that isn't like, you know, all of these. Because like, yeah, they were all basically the the female versions of those original characters. No, just make new characters that are unique and different. I don't know. It just, yeah, they, they had to like fill these specific tropes that were in the first one. I th I think that's a very good point about this movie because I agree. I do think it's kind of pandering and I think the reboot Ghostbusters does that more than a lot maybe of other movies. Yeah. 
yeah, like like to me, it's just you know, t- yeah. When, whenever any movie, and and you know, and, and this goes, you know, if if you take a, a movie that is made that has like an all female cast, and then later on, you if you remade it with an all male cast to you know mix it up or whatever, inherently, I just think that's that's a broken premise. Like, I need something more fresh than simply you gender flipping a bunch of characters. Okay, I I would agree with a lot of that. And again, I, I don't think this movie is perfect by any means. Yeah, yeah. And I think you raise some very valid points. I do think it is pandering, and it's one of the movies that it's very blatant pandering. Mm-hmm. Because you are correct, and it's essentially a mimicry of the original characters, but let's gender flip it. And it serves no purpose to the plot. And in fact, like along those lines, let's la- uh, launch into the comics... I'm going to bring up something from actually like midway through the the run of the comics, and th- this is the more recent uh, comics. I believe it's by Boom. Oh no, sorry, it's IDW. So it is the IDW more recent run of comics. It started about, probably about back in about 2010 ish, maybe a little bit earlier than that. But yeah, so they've had a run of Ghostbuster comics that continue the story like shortly after two. And the first thing I'm going to bring up, because it kind of relates to the point I was making about the reboot, is that partway through the comics, or I guess throughout the comics, they kind of introduce more and more female characters just throughout the cast. Like, for example, Stance buys a like rare bookshop, and so he has uh, an employee there who like helps with a lot of the research and stuff that they do that, that relates to like how they're fighting these ghosts and stuff, and she's really cool. And then, of course, like Janine actually like sometimes starts being involved in some of the Ghostbuster work off and on just when like things are really crazy. And so there's a there's a point in the comics in which all of the you know main Ghostbusters have like been captured by a ghost. And so they need to be saved. And so the like main female cast character of, of characters, you know, so like Janine and, and the assistant in the bookstore and then a couple other characters, they, you know, don the suits and save the guys. And that worked for me because they were their own characters. They were unique and interesting. And, you know, they, they brought elements to the story that really worked. And, and they did th- things, you know, in their own unique ways. So I really liked that little arc of the comics because it was fun seeing these characters that we're already part of the universe have, you know, either received training or kind of have to learn really quick uh, relative to this situation instead of just, yeah, making basically the girl Egon and the girl stance and the girl Bankman and the girl Winston. So that was the kind of what I'm getting at is that like, to me that works better. So the comics uh, kind of just speaking about them generally, I actually really like them. I feel like they do a good job of capturing the tone of the characters. They kind of, they're, they're fun because they take the opportunity to kind of like ex- expand the world in some interesting ways. They, you know, the Ghostbusters get hired outside of New York a few times and, and kind of, you know, go to other areas in America um, you know, they start to see that the paranormal activity from stuff that was really centered in New York has started to spread out more. And yeah, it's just like it's becoming more and more commonplace all over the world, really. And so, you know, there's even like instances where they're contacted by other people who are like, hey, like, we want to like make a Ghostbusters franchise store and stuff like that. Like, we want to be able to also 
kind of use your brand to do the same thing and use your technology and you know it you know it just kind of builds on that world and and also like they regularly have to work with the EPA now as sort of getting contracts through them as opposed to working against them um so that's kind of interesting too like you you see really the whole universe of characters pulled in but it just kind of expands on on what we have and and again like you know we also have like the bookstore and and these you know characters that are you know doing research and you know just it, it builds on the on the universe in a, in a really fun way and so definitely if you're a comic fan and you're a Ghostbusters fan I think it's definitely worth checking out uh, I haven't read tons and tons of them I've probably read like five graphic novels worth so probably like thirty issues of the of the comics and I don't know, I like them they're fun I like them a lot I have a comic store just down my house I'm gonna have to look and see if these are there that sounds amazing I got most of them actually just through like uh, like virtual library stuff like uh through libby uh that app so you know just check it out it's i think worth everybody's time if you are a a fan of ghostbusters let's cut the crap and talk about how excited we are for afterlife um that looks so good (laughs) i was very worried because same very much the same because you know we just had the hot mess that we just talked about that came out, and I was like, oh, I don't want more Ghostbusters movies, like, let's leave this alone. But then they showed me a trailer that has little girl who is Egon's granddaughter, and I was all in. And then, of course, then they're like, oh, by the way, and, like, everyone from the original cast going to be in it. I was like, uh, yep. I think they've confirmed everybody except Rick Moranis, and I'm hoping... Oh, I so hope. If he's in it, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, even if he's in it for, like, a second, like, who cares? I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Like, it, it looks like a really good blend of, you know, the things that I love about Ghostbusters, but in a very new story, a new context. And, uh, yeah, just, like, the, the new cast members are, are actors that, you know, if, the ones that I've seen in stuff I really like. You know, like Finn Wolfhard and... Yes, and he, uh, I think, is a phenomenal actor, so I think he's he's a great pick. It just, uh, good things are coming, I think, in this movie. And can we just say, screw you, coronavirus, for delaying it a year? (sighs) Let's not talk about it, because it gets me too sad. It's March 5th of 2021. 2021. But, I mean, I'll... I'll t- I'll take waiting a little bit longer if I can see it on the big screen and get that full experience because it's going to be amazing. Also, were you aware that they're uh, so just changing gears and you know now that we basically just said hey we can't freaking wait for this movie? Were you aware that there's also like a video game that is a sequel? No, what? Probably like I don't know eight nine years ago uh, they released a Ghostbusters video game. I have not played it. I've heard it's actually pretty good. I own it. I think. On Steam, I just haven't played it yet. But it's supposed to be basically what Ghostbusters 3 would have been if they had made it. So definitely, like, they involved the... I think they got all of the original cast for voice acting for it. And they, you know, definitely involved, like, some plot ideas and stuff that they had uh, kicked around back in the day. Um, I think especially Harold Ramis was was involved in making the, the game, so... Do we want to move on to kind of the last segment, which is 24 fun facts you never knew about Ghostbusters? Uh, okay, so I assume you're getting this from, like, BuzzFeed or something? I may or may not be, but that's fine. 
Well, we should just give credit where it's due. Thank you. Thanks, um, BuzzFeed Buzz... or whatever. BuzzFeed is great. I love BuzzFeed. Don't believe everything you read on BuzzFeed. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. Both Chevy Chase and Michael Keaton turned down the role of Peter Venkman. Ha! Eddie Murphy and John Candy both turned down main roles as well. Bill Murray's role was originally written for John Belushi, but he died while the script was being written. Sadness. And Dan Aykroyd referred to Slimer as the ghost of John Belushi. (laughs) Dan Aykroyd's script originally took place in the future, but Harold Ramis rewrote it to take place in modern times. Thankfully, I think that was a good decision. The original Ghostbusters trailer featured a 1-800 number, not a 555 number, and if you called it, you would hear a pre-recording of Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Where is that number? I need it. I'm lonely. Give me Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Especially Dan Aykroyd, it sounds like. Shush. The Ghostbusters Firehouse headquarters was remodeled as the mechanic shop in The Mask. Oh. The marshmallow goo that explodes... Onto William Atherton is actually 50 pounds of shaving cream. Yes, I think it was shaving cream for him, and then it was whipped cream for pretty much most of the others. The Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man suit cost $20,000. Ray Parker Jr.'s theme song for the movie was a number one hit for three weeks. The jail scene was filmed in a real prison, and Dan Aykroyd was convinced the building was actually haunted. Bill Murray only agreed to star in Ghostbusters because they offered to remake The Razor's Edge with him as the star. He sounds like a diva. But we still love him anyway. The party scene with Rick Moranis and his guest is almost entirely improvised, which is amazing. Ghostbusters was the highest grossing comedy of all time until the release of... Do you want to guess? Um, It's going to piss you off. It better not be the new Ghostbusters or I'll be very angry. Home Alone. Oh. Eh. The term proton pack was never used in the first Ghostbusters. The term came in Ghostbusters 2. The guns for the proton packs were originally wands. <laughs> That's amazing. Expecto Patronum! Expecto Ghostum! The film was originally entitled Ghost Smashers. <laughs> I love it. Ghostbusters was Larry King's film debut. <laughs> Ron Jeremy was an extra in the film who later starred in a porn parody entitled This Ain't Ghostbusters Triple X. Very original name there. <laughs> uh, the cast and crew referred to Slimer as Onion Head because of how bad the prop began to smell after all of the food that went in and out. Gross. To show its massive size, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man was originally supposed to come out of the water next to the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, that probably would have added to the budget a little bit. There was a second version of the librarian puppet, but it was rejected because it looked too disgusting. It was later used in Fright Night, which was released one year after Ghostbusters. Hmm, that's fun. The demonic voice of Dana slash Zool was performed by director Ivan Reitman, and most of Bill Murray's lines were ad-libs. Yep. The end. There's your listicle... From BuzzFeed. (laughs) Yeah, those are fun facts. I'm just going to share one other thing that I just found fun. So uh, I'm a big fan of the Borderlands game series. And in Borderlands 3, which is the newest entry in the series, 
there is a mission in which you have to go and trap these they're they're basically ghosts they're these like weird alien spirity things anyway you're handed a ghost trap that looks exactly like the ghost trap from ghostbusters to go capture them and then when you uh, complete the mission you are rewarded with a gun called the e gone that shoots out basically a beam of energy like the proton packs it's phenomenal love it all right nathaniel how are you staying spooky Lately, I've been saying spooky mostly via podcast. I've been listening to a couple podcasts that uh, I are, that are new or related podcasts. Uh, so the first one I'm going to mention is the Scary Cats Horror Show, uh, which is made by the guys who do Reply All for uh, Gimlet. Basically, one of them is super terrified of all horror movies, and so the other one is subjecting him to horror movies, you know, trying to slowly get him ready so he can, you know, watch more intense horror movies and actually maybe enjoy them. It's a lot of fun to listen to because, yeah, just like you get kind of the the total horror wimps perspective on everything. So that one's just a lot of fun. They, they definitely ha- are, are very skilled podcasters. And so that one's just a lot of fun all around. Uh, I also want to mention Grady Hendrix has started a podcast that kind of is a way in which he is both sort of shamelessly plugging his new book that we have already mentioned on the podcast, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, which is so good. And uh, and also just kind of it's a way for him to dump out all of the research that he did for writing that book. Uh, so it, the podcast is called The Super Scary Haunted Homeschool. And uh, the first episode basically was covering uh, a lot of, like, geography, or, you know, basically vampire geography, kind of, you know, hitting on what different vampire legends are in different parts of the world. And it was funny, it was entertaining, you know, Grady just is a is a really uh, funny guy, so definitely check that out. It's a lot of fun. How about you, Max? I just binge-watched 10 episodes of the first season of Fox's show The Exorcist. You know what you're supposed to do after you binge-watch something is then you purge-watch, which is basically <laughs> watching the Purge TV series. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Ha! Um, so I have mixed feelings about this show. It was really, really, really good until... It wasn't? The, I think, fifth episode where you find out the main character is actually Reagan from the real Exorcist, and she's changed her name and has a family, and it just kind of felt hokey. Like, they were relying too much on the, like, wow factor that all of this is Pazuzu and really Reagan, and even Chris comes back from the original show. Like, it was fun, but it also felt like they were really reaching for the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, that's not great. My favorite parts about it, though, is that the church, the Catholic Church, has been infiltrated by integrated demons, and an integrated demon is essentially a true possession. Uh, One, there's no such thing as integration when it comes to demonic possession. I have the Roman rite. I can read it for us if you'd like. (laughs) Um, We'll save that for a uh, relevant episode. Yes, we should do the taking of Emily Rose, or possession of Emily Rose. 
we will very soon. So it's cool because the church is infiltrated by these demons and they're very highfalutin demons and they're kind of creating these machinations, machinations, however you want to say it, behind the scenes. So that's kind of a subplot to Pazuzu possessing Reagan's daughter and trying to get revenge against Reagan for betraying him. And it just, it was fun. There were a lot of nostalgic moments from The Exorcist, especially the music. But just the moment, uh, there's one scene where Chris, Reagan's mom, comes back and it is like the opening scene of The Exorcist. And you're just like, okay, I'm just going to watch The Exorcist now. <laughs> I don't know, it lost some of the fun. However, it's a very solid demon TV series. There's not a lot of demonic TV shows. And they, I was surprised with Fox, kind of the liberties they took with some of the special effects that they did with the demons. It was very gory, very gnarly, and really very cruel what they did with reagan's daughter and and kind of how they showed her becoming possessed by pazuzu um also the biggest disappointment was when you actually meet pazuzu the demon his face is nothing like the original exorcist they completely change it and i was frustrated sounds like i hated the show i binged it in a week i did not hate it it just kind of got corny like fox shows do sometimes yeah. There's a second season and it actually got like a 9.8 on the tomato meter from Rotten Tomatoes. Holy cow. I know. So I think I'm going to keep watching the second season. It's kind of an anthology series. So it's the two main exorcists from season one, but then they go and find another girl who's possessed. So we'll see how it goes. It was canceled for a third season. So regardless of the tomato score, it probably isn't very popular. So. Um, I would say that is how I've been staying spooky. Uh, that and just a bunch of horror movies. I watched I Trapped the Devil again. Sweet. And it's fantastic. I've been watching some horror movies lately. I just watched a really crappy horror movie. Sometimes the crappy movies are the best. Eh, not in this <laughs> case. This this one was the sequel to Hell House LLC, and it oh. sucked. I also watched Friend Request that you and I had chatted about. That's <laughs> another fun one on netflix it's one of the better social media horror movies out there it's not great by any means it's not great but it's way better than it has any right to be <laughs> agreed agreed it's it's pretty funny so um, All right. and then i'm continue reading grady hendrix's book about vampires and book clubs it's going much slower than i anticipated but i'm trudging along yeah i mean i'm about to read uh, the stranger beside me the Anne rule book about uh, Ted Bundy, so. Ooh. Her friend, Ted Bundy. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Go watch Ghostbusters, whichever one you want, but make it the original. <laughs> because that is, in fact, the one that you want, because you're a reasonable person who's listening to our show. And stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at ScreamKingsPod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to Patreon.com forward slash ScreamKings. Stay spooky.